Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hello, hello. Hi everybody. Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. What we're speaking about today is the focus on survival mode as a parent. So, Over the last several months, what I've noticed in terms of our work with parents and also in the private practice, I run a private practice um, in Maryland, a group practice where we also specialize in in working with highly sensitive children and teens. And so one of the things that we've noticed as a theme over the last many years, but especially right now in uh, a pandemic, parents are in survival mode, duh right? (laughs) It's not new. But what I wanted to do is notice the difference between a certain subset of parents who have been accessing support and how they've used that survival mode to turn the circumstances in their household around. So first and foremost, we need to talk about uh, really what survival mode looks like for you. And and when you're dealing with daily meltdowns on uh, either once a day or, or multiple times a day basis, it can be very stressful and frustrating. It can feel like the rug is pulled out from under you on a daily basis. And so it makes sense that you as a parent are stuck in a survival mode cycle. But it's also true that it's hard to tease out often when your child is experiencing these intense emotions at a big at a big level at this level of intensity whether or not you in particular are also uh, experiencing a high level of stress to the point where you feel incapable of making choices beyond what's going on in the current moment so when we think about what it means to be survival mode parenting um, in in this spiral, if you will, of dealing with daily meltdowns for sensitive kids, it's important to understand that the the big picture is very difficult to to notice when you're parenting a sensitive kid who's melting down or having outbursts or running away or hiding under the bed or refusing to do whatever it is that you need them to do with either aggression or throwing things or hitting, kicking. on, on a regular basis, even every other day is still quite extensive and not developmentally appropriate for children, um, any child, that, that level of intensity, but especially children four and older. So um, with that level of frequency, so daily, multiple times a day, even every other day, multiple times a week is still not developmentally appropriate for children. Um, and I see this often in my videos. So um when we think about one of the things that's that's super important to, to notice regarding this survival mode, I really want to tease apart the thought process that you as a parent may be going through to peg whether or not you're in survival mode. Um, and I'm actually going to use an example today, which is atypical. I, I typically keep um, our client stories, um, you know, 
on the website or, or, or whatever in our, um, there's a few in our um, major training, but, but not in these lives. But I feel like in this circumstance it's necessary. So um, the, 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 before we get to that, the important piece that I wanted to, to make sure that we covered is understanding the difference between planning ahead, staying present in the moment, and then also responding in your mind on how you might do better next time. And um, often what we see for parents who are thinking about what they could have said differently next time, um, that may feel like a proactive strategy where your child melted down, you're assessing it um, in your mind, and then you're practicing what you might have said differently or how you might have said it. Um, You may even tell your spouse how to do it differently or, or um, just run it through your mind several times. And it's really important that as a parent, you notice that this is actually more likely than not, given how often it's happening for you, rumination rather than proactivity. So rumination is the concept of running through your thoughts over and over and over again in what ifs. Um, multiple times a day after multiple incidents. And it's a very comforting process, but it is an anxiety-based process. So it is a symptom of survival mode parenting and is a symptom of high stress. So um, one thing that I think is is important to understand regarding um, this need for parents to, uh, to, to notice survival mode parenting is really to take a pick apart the difference between being proactive, right? And being um, and being reactive because the brain and the way that the brain works in terms of, uh, of assessing threats and trying to prevent them in the first place, um, it can actually get itself stuck in a rumination pattern where you're thinking, thinking, thinking what you could have said, could have, should have, would have done differently in the next time. And if this is a process that you are rolling through in your mind on a daily basis, and it's taking up a lot of bandwidth on your energy, on uh, your thought process, it's difficult to concentrate on what your task at hand, then it is likely that you are experiencing rumination, which is an anxiety symptom, rather than just um, rather than truly being proactive, because being proactive is systematic. Um, not reactive. And it's really important to understand that because oftentimes when we speak to parents on the phone, we try to decide uh, what their next steps might be. We um, help them, you know, break out of their current situation and, and figure out how to how to move move on, um, whether that be working with us or, or in another avenue. We often are dispelling myths that running through your brain, what you could be doing differently is an actual solution. Because when you're in that situation, it can feel really satisfying. Um, this is the the trick that, that anxiety will play on the brain. And we know that anxiety is a symptom of stress and stress is a symptom of, of traumatic events. And when your child is experiencing intense emotions, over and over and over again on a daily basis, you are living on edge, you can become hypervigilant, 
um, which basically means like trying to, you know, holding your breath, waiting for the other shoe to drop and, um, and, and trying to basically batten down the hatches, prevent the meltdowns in the first place, but from a reactive mode rather than a proactive mode. So there's a difference between prevention from from responding in stress and prevention from from responding from an empowered place or or, or prevention preventative um, from a systematic place. So when we help parents understand the difference, it can be quite freeing. But without it, you can feel like your back's up against a wall. And uh, another symptom that I wanted to to cover today. Uh, regarding this pattern is the opposite of that, which is compartmentalization. So I wanted to talk about this because it's typically a pattern that we see in two-parent households where one parent is in this constant rumination thinking process, just thinking, thinking, thinking about how they could have done something differently, what they're going to say next time. You're kind of gearing yourself up. You're what ifing. If she says this, if my kid says this, then I'll do it this way. If my kid says that, then I'll do it this way. Um, if my, you know, if if sibling does this then I'll do it that way. You're basically replaying the event in your mind over and over and over again. And then another parent will often mention that uh, they're ready whenever their child needs them. If they're having a meltdown, they're ready. Um, They're able to handle just that one incident and they don't seem to carry it on from the next. Uh, And I have to to acknowledge and and work with parents in in identifying that this also is a reactive strategy. And it is also a symptom of stress and survival because it it is indicative of compartmentalization. So, um, you know, stereotypically, this is, you know, in in two parent households that are um, heteronormative, it it is, or heterosexual. um, Typically, there's more males that will do this than not, but we see plenty of uh, females who are going to compartmentalize. um, And and oftentimes, really, what's more relevant is that they, the the parent identifies as a problem solver, and uh, an outcome driven person. And so what that means is that when your child's having a meltdown, you experience it in one of two ways. One, it's here we go again. I can't believe this is happening again. And you have a frustration experience. Or you experience it by being ready to solve the problem and help your child and, um, and, you know, and, and, and um, you come up with a solution. But you're also after the fact, um, noticing that you're on a hamster wheel, and you can't get off of it, and you don't know what's what's going to actually help you prevent it. So both situations are aggravating, but in different ways. The first one, as I spoke about, you know, the rumination cycle, it is difficult to turn your brain off. And then the other side of things, which is the pendulum that we see often parents and who are parenting highly sensitive kids who are in the daily meltdown cycle, they swing from pendulum to pendulum. Um, And so in a two parent household, but this can also happen in a one parent household, is you are in a position where you are not not that you can't turn your brain off, but that you literally turn it off and you stop thinking about it, but from a protective standpoint. Um, and so this is obviously a problem because it's difficult for you to know when the next meltdown is going to come because your your brain is is in self-preservation mode. And so you're not paying attention to the signs that can head off meltdowns in the, in the past. Um, and it's difficult to notice, and it feels like your child's meltdowns are coming out um, of left field, which obviously can be angering and frustrating. 
um, to say the least. But at at the um, you know at the maximum, you're taking that out that frustration out on your child. Come on, get with it. Why is this such a big deal? It's not that big of a deal. Um, which you know, you and I know, we all know that that's not how you want a parent. Um, you want your child to be able to feel heard and understood and find a way to solve their problems with you, not in spite of you and not um, you know, because you force them to, but because they want to be able to creatively solve their problems in a way that makes them feel capable um, rather than feeling like their back's up against the wall. They either, they either melt down or, um, or you fix it for them. And uh, because nobody wins, that's a lose-lose situation. And so uh, one thing that we know to be true for parents who are stuck in this survival mode is that there has to be some level of awareness that this is happening and some level of openness to discuss it in a a conversation with an expert um, like us and being able to get out of it. Um, And I mean that because it's very, very difficult to read the label from inside the jar that you're in. Um, you know, I can use another cliche, like it's hard to see the forest for the trees, but it really is that um, typical for parents of highly sensitive kids to think that what they're doing is actually working to break the cycle. And then they come to us and, and we have this conversation around, whoa, how how on earth could it have gotten to be this intense? Um, I want to speak personally at this point to understand what that what that really means, because uh, it brings an example. Um, it, it brings to light my my sister's uh, my experience with my sister. So it um, it's been a while since I've brought up this part of my story about her. But um, in grad school, if I remember the dates correctly, uh, my sister had graduated college and she was living um, living out on her own, traveling home on the weekends most weekends to be to 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 be to visit with my family parents um mainly because she was stressed and it was difficult for her to be independent on her own um and it was difficult for her to manage general everyday life stressors and like showing up to work on time um dealing with a roommate uh, communicating with her boss etc and one of the things that um, that she had, uh, w- one of the strategies that she had used to help herself manage that stress was uh, overexercise and restrictive eating. And so what that meant uh, from a clinical standpoint is that she developed symptoms of anorexia that was pretty severe um, that my parents just didn't actually notice. Because when you think about extreme behavior, like choosing not to eat in a way that keeps your body nourished and then choosing to exercise for hours on a uh, at a time um to you know to burn the calories um that is not an overnight process where your body slowly declines and eats um you know and and, and eats away its own fat right um i'm not being very I'm, i'm kind of speaking in layman's terms but most of us i mean we all learn about anorexia in seventh grade health class so not speaking about anything new, but um, the the process of the body uh, trying to survive and um, you know accessing its own nutrients is not a overnight process. So when I came home from grad school um, over the summer to visit, and um, it might have actually been my first year of 
after grad school. I can't remember. Um, I was home visiting for a little while over the summer and like a week or so. And I saw my sister and she was skin and bones and my parents hadn't noticed, literally hadn't noticed because they couldn't read the label from inside the bottle. They had seen her so frequently that they didn't notice how severe her slow decline was. And, um, and so this is why and what we speak about in terms of survival mode, we see time in, time out for families who get stuck in this intensity that we have to do a lot of fact checking regarding what is typical for, for children and for child development, as well as what's typical for you. You know, oftentimes we speak to parents on the on these conversations about, um, you know, what's typical development for a child. And so, you know, meltdown statistics aside, we already spoke about that today um, earlier. It's also important to understand that even in a pandemic, daily meltdowns are still not typical for children. Um, yes. We are much more stressed. Yes, our country is divided for those of us in the US. Yes, there are people dying. Yes, there are difficult circumstances happening left, right, and center um, in the media. And what's also true is that some families are thriving while the world outside of them is not. And when I speak about that in particular related to highly sensitive parents of highly sensitive children, I want to speak with a focus on the parents who identified that they were in survival mode and they were done. So um, especially as we round out the end of the year, I really want to uh, address what's possible and identify what it what these parents had in common so that you can take this and run with it. And if you feel like you need help, you can come to us and we can we can speak about whether or not that's relevant um, and, and whether or not we're a good fit. Um, but at, at least in particular for you, my objective for today's training is to help you see what is possible, but also what is typical. Because when your child is struggling at this level of intensity, it's very hard to remember in the moment, but then also outside of the moment, especially if you're in survival mode, that your child feels out of control in their own body, even when they're happy, if they're experiencing intense emotions. And I mean that because for children who experience the world right here in this moment, um, it's also true that highly sensitive children carry that intensity throughout the entire day. And so their happy moments aren't as happy and their sad moments aren't as sad because their explosive moments are so explosive that they reverberate. And it what it means is that your child's intensity, uh, both positive and negative scale, is impacted by how frequently they're melting down. And so often what we see and hear for parents is that they don't actually get to meet their kid until they're working through the process that we teach because uh, much of their child's personality is actually not their child's personality. It's trauma reactions to their own intense emotions. And so we help parents address that problem from the root, rip it out, and also um, insert additional playfulness, change the family dynamic, and set limits in a way that honors their child's sensitivity without feeling like they're enabling their child while they struggle to build skills. 
So um, that's a process. That's not something that you that that you know you can just pick up one day and and rock with it. But um, or certainly pick up in a book. But I think what is important to understand is that the first thing that is relevant is how you need to show up in order to get those results. So um, the parents that I want to speak about today came with an understanding that not only did they not know what they didn't know, and that's why they were seeking support, but also that um, that they weren't willing to continue to tolerate the same level of suffering for their entire family because they knew that nobody was put on this earth to suffer. Nobody was put on this earth to be miserable. And they weren't willing to allow their family to do the same, even if that meant that they were going to be doing some uncomfortable things, which is like, you know, um, you know, totally fin- um, changing the way that they parent and doing that uh, both efficiently, but also swiftly. So um, I want to speak about this, but I want to share a celebration of a client that uh, celebrated earlier this fall. So um, I will say that some of these celebrations are from um, September 2020. I want to speak to this particular family because this is a family of six and um, five of them are highly sensitive. So mom is the only non-highly sensitive person, and she is a homeschooler. She is a pre-pandemic homeschooler. (laughs) So children are um, 12, 9, um, 7, and uh, 6. And well, 8 and 6, sorry, if I'm doing the math right. Um, And... um, when they came to us, their nine-year-old was was experiencing the most intense emotions, but it was also true that that they had they had understood that their twelve-year-old and their um, their twelve-year-old was likely highly sensitive. Their eight-year-old was absolutely highly sensitive, um, and and was kind of following in in the intense outburst footsteps of their their second child, um, and they had. Um, they had the perspective that their youngest was not highly sensitive. However, through the process, what they noticed is that um, that their highly sensitive child, their youngest one was highly sensitive as well. And so mom learned that she was just trying to hold it all together because the house was um, was so, so struggling so much. And so now what I want to do is just acknowledge the celebration that this family mentioned here. Um, this is a family where mom literally could not complete one one lesson without a meltdown um, between the three children who were struggling the most. And um, this was last fall. And then this is this fall. I mean, sorry, um, this was last spring when we started working together towards the end of May uh, 2020. And uh, and now they're celebrating a few things. One is that um, their nine-year-old is, well, I think is you know, obviously more important in my mind, but uh, there's, there's a couple of things. One, um, the meltdowns in, during the school day have significantly decreased. The daily meltdowns are gone. Um, and with f- four highly sensitive kids, they're probably experiencing, um, I'm kind of pulling the stat out of my brain, but um, it's likely at this point about once a week uh, between the four of them. And um Regardless, what we're focusing on at this point is that 
when those outbursts are happening, they're not nearly as long, drawn out, and mom is certainly not feeling like she literally doesn't know how to read her own children. Um, and what's best about this is that their nine-year-old, who at, at one point was so stuck in her perfectionism of her dream of being an artist that she wasn't actually able to draw, and uh, and now she gets to she gets to draw, she gets to express herself in a way that she really really likes to do it, but just wasn't able to allow herself to do it because it wasn't showing out the way that she wants it to, right? Because highly sensitive people want to do it right the first time, and um, and that's really really hard for sensitive children to move on from that level of perfectionism without strategy, without support, um, and without easing them into that. Um, so I, what I wanted to do was speak about this family because um, they they showed up to their conversation not afraid of talking about the hard stuff and not afraid of um, of taking a of, of, of making taking massive action to change their their family's life um, they certainly weren't uh, what's the word that I want to use um, they didn't know what to expect on the conversation and what's also true is that uh, they didn't let that inhibit themselves from changing how they decided to parent. So um, I'm speaking about this because one thing that I know for families who struggle in survival mode is um, the ones who get out of it all have something in common. And, um, and that is more focus towards what they want than what they currently have or what they're currently experiencing. So when we go back to the the understanding that in survival mode, it's hard to see the forest for the trees, you know, the survival mode is tunnel vision. So um, we can talk all about the brain's reaction to stress and how that literally creates tunnel vision. But what I'm focusing on right now is how when one thing isn't going the way that you're expecting it to, um, when you're in survival mode, there is no turning around from that you are like the energizer bunny slamming up against a wall cannot compute does not move will not be able to do anything else um, because this isn't turning out the way that I want it to so when you think about uh, families who who shift out of the dynamic of survival mode you have to be not just coachable in the sense that you're ready to hear what should you should try next but also coachable in the sense that um in the sense that you realize that your process of solving the problem isn't working and you have to be open to hearing new ways of solving that problem. So um, highly sensitive parents can struggle with this. And this is why I want to talk about this today. Because if you don't have all the details as a highly sensitive parent, it can be hard to feel confident that you're making the right decision. And it's also true that if you had all the details, you would probably still have a hard time making the right decision, feeling like you're confident making the right decision. Because when you're in survival mode, you can second guess yourself over and over and over again. Remember that that whole process of rumination? 
So um, the, the difference between trusting your gut and thinking that your fear is a gut reaction is... And, and having the skill to notice the difference really can make or break the um, apparent success in, in breaking out of the meltdown cycle. Even if we weren't a good fit to work together, that's not, um, you know, obviously, I don't know if I can help you um, or my team can help you in this process until we get on the phone. But um, part of what, why, I, why we do these trainings here is so that you understand even if we aren't a good fit, um, either just not right now or, or not at all, um, that you understand what is, what is holding you back, what is keeping you uh, stuck in this dynamic. And being able to tease out the difference between a fear response and a gut intuition response is super, super crucial. So what helps you build your gut intuition? Um, the short answer to that is practice. But um, the long answer to that is the ability to understand that um, the difference between skepticism, fear, and uncertainty. So you may be uncertain as a parent that the strategies you're using are going to work. But if you're skeptical that they're going to work or you're fearful that they won't work, those two will definitely impede your progress. Um, But the uncertainty, that's something that you can grow. You can grow certainty. So um, why am I speaking about this? Because when we think about children who are highly sensitive, they need you to be certain that whatever strategies that you're implementing um, are going to work are actually going to work. And so if you're not certain yourself that you have a proven system with uh, a proven um, plan, then it's going to be really difficult for your child to trust that the strategies you're trying to teach them, aka coping skills, are going to actually stick. So there's two things going on. One is your child doesn't have faith in themselves to implement those skills. And that's one of the reasons why coping skills don't work. But the other thing is that they don't really have faith in you helping them through it because you don't have faith in yourself and being able to do it. So that's where accountability and support comes in, right? Because uh, you can borrow other people's belief, you you can borrow other people's certainty in that respect. Um, But you you can't draw from an empty well. So I'm speaking a lot in cliches today. Um, My apologies. So what am I speaking about at this point regarding the survival mode and how to break out of it? Um, What we're talking about is being able to first and foremost take stock of how often you're in reactive mode. Because if you're in reactive mode for the majority of the day, then it's going to be extremely difficult for you to break out of the daily meltdown cycle. Um, And that requires you to have a a clear plan that you can implement and um, pivot when your child isn't following through on the strategies that you're implementing. So, um, and not just pivoting because it didn't work that first day, um, but being able to stay consistent in how you're maintaining uh, the progress, even while your child's taking a while to get on board. So um, 
in that respect, what we what we encourage you to focus on is being able to notice the difference for your child as well on whether or not your strategies are working. And one great way to do that is to to notice the difference between um, what I like to call shiny object syndrome um, and uh, a system that's actually working. So shiny object syndrome is, um, you know, basically the honeymoon stage of using a new coping skill. Your child may like it for a little while and uh, it might find feel new and exciting. So that might be a new meditation vid- video or um, a fun new fidget or um, I don't know, I'm just drawing a blank silly putty, like whatever it is that that you're helping them um, learn to slow their body down and, and calm down. But what um, once that wears off, the meltdown cycle continues at the extreme extreme level that you were experiencing them before. And so it's important to understand that shiny object syndrome is not the same as a lengthened fuse, a lengthened fuse of frustration tolerance. And um, because those breaks, and and so the first sign of that is that uh, for you, your response, your survival response, which is innate and um, something that you can train out of, but right now, um, you know, you're in it, you're going to be able to notice if you're still in it, um, is, is whether or not your body has shifted out of that dynamic. So if you're still in survival mode and your child is learning a new strategy, um, part of you is going to know a little bit about whether or not that strategy is going to work um, based on how they're responding. So if it feels like a shiny object and it's a newfangled idea, then it's likely going to be more of a honeymoon response than a, a low frustration tolerance um, increasing to a more high or medium frustration tolerance uh, fuse. And um, if you are maintaining the process of, of rumination or compartmentalization that we spoke about earlier, then it is going to be um, indicative of whether or not your child is able to break out of that uh, shiny object syndrome and actually continue to use the skills that you're teaching them. Because um, being highly sensitive, your child is going to be able to read your fear and is going to be able to read your surprise. So uh, they will pick the, pick up on that and they will um, that will impede their own ability to um, to be certain in themselves and maintaining the progress that they're making and using different skills. So um, your child and their skill set is a direct reflection of your skill set. Um, and so you have to help your yourself learn strategies and supports to break out of that intensity. Um, before your child learns that. That's um, That's been taught in the research regarding highly sensitive children for and highly sensitive people um, for over, if I want to count, how many decades? 2020? 60 years. Uh, for over 60 years. So um, since 1960. So I had to like <laughs> do math. Um and so when, um, when we think about why that is, you know, your child's environment needs to change in order for, for them to change, that's a tricky thing to do when you yourself are in the same survival mode environment, right? So one thing that we, we get um, 
questions about um, occasionally um, used to happen more a while ago, but um, occasionally we'll ask uh, well, parents will ask us why um, why what we do works and and why um, and and part of that is 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 you know obviously the the system is strategic, but um, the other part of that is that the there's accountability. And it's very difficult to be consistent with something that isn't working right away. So um, helping yourself out of that hole is hard. Um, you know, the hole of, of, of frustration and despair and worry. Um, because you need to not just be in survival mode in terms of like staying alive, um, you know, emotionally. Um, though some families we work with are worried about physically staying alive, especially if your child is threatening um, to hurt anybody else in the family or themselves. Um, though for many of you, depending on your child's age, ma the majority of you, it is more of an emotional um, thriving that you're looking for um, rather than just a physical safety um, perspective. But um, the the ability to do that on your own, even even if you are in a two parent household, is quite challenging. Um, and one of the things that we know is that um, parents who are able to shift out of this realize that they see themselves as people who are not just committed to solve this problem, but who are also sick and tired of dealing with it at the level and intensity that they're dealing with it now, so much so that they're no longer willing to see how this plays out without help. Um, so if that sounds like you, then I would encourage you to book a call with our team. Um, we would be happy to have a conversation with you about whether or not we can we can help. Um, we don't know if what we do is going to help you. But what I do know is that um, you won't know either unless we talk. <laughs> so um, we're happy to have that conversation with you to, to discuss where you're struggling, what you're dealing with, um, and whether or not what you're dealing with is a problem that we can help fix. And if that's the case, we'll tell you how that works. If it's not, then we will tell you uh, what would be more appropriate. So um, especially right now at this intense level of uh, physical isolation for a lot of people, given just given the weather, um, we are seeing a significantly higher level of families whose kids have um, been threatening to harm, the, harm themselves, um, both coming into the private practice um, and also here through the coaching business. And um some of those families are more appropriately uh, matched up with a therapist in their local area for those who come to the, the coaching business. Um, and so we, we would steer you in that right direction and understand, um, because many of you have been, if that's the case, um, you've been through therapy before and um, we help you find the therapy that's going to be more appropriate given your circumstances and um, the training that my team has um, for decades um, of doing uh, various trauma work as well as working with highly sensitive children throughout our careers, uh, we're pretty definitive in terms of what treatment is effective and what treatment's not when it gets to the point where your child needs therapy. So um, 
if what you're dealing with is uh, something that we can help through bootcamp, then we'll tell you how that works. Um, go ahead over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash talk, and we will be happy to serve your family to knowing exactly what your next steps are um, on that conversation so that you can get out of that survival mode. All right. Have a wonderful day and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining me for this episode of how to parent your highly sensitive child like a ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you're ready to join a community of parents focused on eliminating the daily meltdown cycle and want more support, be sure to join our free Facebook group, Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja, where we provide free video trainings to parents just like you. You can find that in the search bar of Facebook or you can go to facebook.com backslash groups backslash parenting highly sensitive child. Thank you and have a wonderful day.